The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. If you could see what I once was If you could go with me Back to where I started from Then I know you would see But Numbers chapter 16, I want to talk to you a little bit. I'm not going to preach like you think I'm going to from the, from the text I've chosen. But I'm going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 10. But really, I'm only going to concentrate on a thought. Really, one thought tonight. I'm driving one nail in. Uh, Numbers chapter 16, verse 9 is the primary text of it all. I believe we should pray for each other. Sometimes when you hear about these prayer requests, uh, continue to raise these people up as the Holy Spirit brings them to your mind. People go through various trials and testings. Uh, the bolts are moving up in the dead of winter with an Arctic blast coming. You want to pray for them as they go back up there to Michigan, the beloved state of Michigan. How many here from Michigan? Raise your hand. And I can't blame any of you. But uh, it's got to be God's will. It's got to be God's will. I've seen people move out of God's will and come to Florida. I really have. And they finally realized it was, and not in Bolt's case, but uh, he's having another purpose. But uh, it, it's good. You just got to be in God's will wherever you're at. I said I'd go anywhere God wanted me to go. I meant it. I still mean it. I've been asking him actually for a couple places. But nevertheless, uh, one on the side of a mountain in Kauai, those people need Jesus, don't they? And then I was thinking of, I was thinking of, 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 of what I call a temporary calling. That's three months a year in the salmon run in Alaska. I thought I probably should get a call up there to, for the, all of those people that visit up. That place populates. There is not an RV spot open in Alaska for three, for three months. I mean, there is nothing. My wife and I were going to sleep in the car. Now, when you, get, you, you take your woman and have her sleep in the car, it, it turns into not being a really good time. I mean, we went to a place, and we were getting ready just to sleep in the car. And it was one of them little Tauruses, Ford Taurus, was not real comfortable to sleep in. The seat didn't go all the way back. And I told her, boy, this is going to be rough. I made one more phone call and got the last room in Homer. And when I called up, I, I said, I'll take it. It was a dive, you know, D-I-V-E, dive. It was a dive. And when I went to the, the checkout place to get the room, there was three people behind me saying, boy, I hope they got a room here. And I said, go. There's a price that you may be able to, I'll sleep in my car for a certain amount of money. But then nevertheless, a uh, eh, thousand bucks, I'll sleep in my car all night. But anyway, the, uh, we, we stayed in that room there and uh, felt glad to have one. But they, they, those people need Jesus up there. Most of them are Midwest breadbasket farmers with too much cash. But nevertheless, uh, it's a nice place three months a year. All right, now Numbers chapter 16, 1 through Ten. I have a very, very, very serious thought that hopefully by the grace of God we can attain and understand. It's, this is about a guy named Korah. Now, I, this is not the sermon, but there is a whole sermon you could preach off of this, is 
what will be your legacy? And I think I've actually preached on that a couple times. What will be your legacy? What are we, how will you be known? Uh, for some of you, maybe you've not even done enough to be known in any, really anybody's book. I hope you haven't lived that way. I hope you've lived in such a way that you've influenced as many people as possible for Jesus and done that which is eternal. Well, Korah, Korah was uh, uh, one of the famous men of the congregation. Uh, he was a man of renown. And when the Bible says you're famous among the congregation, a man of renown, it means what it says. That's big. Probably two and a half million people come out of Egypt. They're in, in the wanderings here in verse 16. Now Korah took men. That's my version. I'm not going through all those names. Now, Korah took men. That's what you want to know out of that verse. Now, Korah took men. That's all you got to know out of that verse. You do not have to sit there and say, he didn't pronounce that quite right. I'm not going to give you that opportunity. Korah took men, and they rose up before Moses, for certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you. Seeing all the congregation are holy, we're all saved, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, they then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face because he was a humble man and he was a meek man. He did not choose to be there. Most of you have read Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, the burning bush. He gives God five excuses why he's choosing the wrong guy. Well, when God's at your house telling you you're the guy, you might as well just get down and say, okay, I'm the guy. I don't see how it's going to happen, but I'm the guy. Well, Moses gives God five reasons. And be honest with you, God got mad at him. God got irritated at him. And uh, that ain't good, but Moses was meek, fell on his face. And, and he spake, and he spake to, unto Corinth and all the company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who are who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen which he uh, caused to come near unto him. This do, take you censors, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. You take, and I think this is a tongue-in-cheek here, because it's the same statement that Korah said to Moses and Aaron. He says, you take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, here I pray you, you sons of of Levi, and this is really the text. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto him? And he hath brought uh, thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee to seek ye the priesthood also? Power struggle, even among God's people, sad, isn't it? It's sad. But that's, I'm not really going to talk about Korah because it, many of you have read ahead. And what happened to Korah and his 250 buddies? They became cinder. God literally pulverized them. Probably lightning, fire of the Lord, often referred to in the Bible, came, struck every one of them and killed every one of them. Now, every one of them was a daddy. Every one of them probably a grandpa at this time. Every one of them had grandkids, daddy. And, and it showed God's serious, serious attitude towards people who try to usurp authority that's not theirs. And so that's a big warning, but that's not what we're talking about. 
Uh, we're going to talk about this little phrase, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that God hath separated you unto the congregation of Israel. One of the main reasons people get discouraged, I believe, and leave their posts of responsibility is that they begin to feel that their job is of little importance and that they, if they quit their job, they wouldn't really be missed much. Uh, and so they often will quit. Uh, they often will think there's, there's got to be a greater work somewhere else. And so I want to concentrate on this verse and this phrase, and I hope you leave here and dream about it tonight. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel. Seemeth but a small thing unto you that God has separated you unto himself as a child and that, and that he has given you a specific ministry in your life. You say, what ministry do I have? You need to know what ministry you have. I've said this for every time, since the time I've been here. Everybody ought to have a ministry. Everybody owes it to themselves and God to seek his face and to say, God, what do you want me to do? Now, some people, God comes to you and says, I want you to work in the nursery. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some people says, I want you to do junior church. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some people says, I want you to do junior church. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some people says, I want you to run an old hot bus, cold bus in the winter and hot bus in the summer. Hallelujah, glory to God. Some people says, I want you to be part of the door-to-door team. And if God says that, and you be a part of that, be the best part that ever was. Why? Because it's not for men, it's for God. God separates you to himself. God saves you through faith in Jesus Christ. How privileged we are here tonight if you know Christ as your personal Savior and your blood and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed you from all sin. And your name is written in a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And someday as you stand before Jesus, he'll call your name out and recognize you. Yes, he's one or she's one of my children. Brother, if God didn't give you anything else from here to, from here to there, you've got something to be happy about. Korah and the 250 men of famous, of men of renown, they weren't idiots, they weren't stupid. These were wise people typically become discontented with what God asked them to do, and they want more that God did not ask them to do. And look what happened. Look what happened. They thought what they had was small. See, with it but a small thing unto you, the work that God has led you into? God loves to work through small things. Doesn't nature itself teach you that? God puts all his sovereign eggs into one basket, usually, with one guy or one woman. I'm thinking of Abraham, an insignificant Syrian, unknown, just one person in the countless millions of people. Imagine what Abraham thought when he heard God say in Genesis 12, 2, I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I'm a nobody's nobody. I am a Syrian with really no wealth person. I'm living in a lousy tent. And I am married to a beautiful woman, I will say that. I would like to see Sarah. I mean, she was a head-turning, car-stomping, semi-crashing-looking woman. I 
I mean, man, that boy was lying to keep himself alive. God did the same for Ishmael. In Genesis 17, 20, he said, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall beget, and shall he beget, and I will make him great nations. There's 250 million Arabs today. He said the same thing to Isaac, little Isaac. Genesis 21, 18, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make of him a great nation. God has no trouble taking something insignificant, something precarious, something that's tender and could be easily squashed out, and making it stand and last. God said the same for Jacob. Genesis 46, 3, and he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not, go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. God said the same thing with Moses. He said, uh, Moses, just one hunted man, lost to the world for over 40 years, a sheep herder at the time. God meets him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. It's so unbelievable that Moses, as I said earlier, argues with God that possibly you've picked the wrong guy. Uh, why did Moses argue with God? Well, one reason was he knew Egypt. Forty years, the Bible said, he learned all the wisdom of Egypt. When God was telling him, go in Egypt and take these two-plus million people out of Egypt, he goes, I wonder if he, I'm surprised he didn't say, the Egypt that I'm familiar with? Pharaoh and the largest army in the entire world, all of the might and power and wealth and expertise and knowledge of Egypt, me? I ran when I murdered a guy and out in the wilderness here found me a woman, got married, settled down to be a sheep herder the rest of my life, God. Is it me? God has no trouble with that. He picks Gideon, one of my favorite choices of the whole Bible. Gideon, and I say this for Nick Carbon, if he's here tonight, he's a runt man from a runt family of a runt tribe in a runt nation. God chooses to overthrow a military that cannot be numbered. They're like the grasshoppers that cover the ground, like the locusts in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites. The angel in Judges 6, 12, he says, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee. Thou mighty man of valor. I think Gideon looks up and goes. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then are all this befallen us? And where be all these miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us, delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Basically, they're unbeatable. There's no way a little ragtag group of people, especially me, going to make it. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, that thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? When Jesus said for you and for me, Go into the world and preach the gospel, and you sit back in your, in your little fear and in your doubt and your unbelief and don't do what he says, can't he come to you just like he came to Gideon and say, have I not sent you? Behind my message to go is all of my power. Gideon, 
he says, he was going to do it. And then Gideon says, oh, my Lord, wherewith? In verse 15 there of Judges 6, wherewith shall I save Israel? I don't have too much faith. He says, behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. That's a runt family. And I'm the least of my father's house. That's a runt man. I looked up the numbers. Manasseh was the runt tribe. So you have the runt man with the runt family and the runt tribe of the runt nation. Israel just a little old nothing nation. And God said, you're going to take and you're going to deliver, be delivered from these Midianites to cover the, they'd be like going against Russia as just a little nation of Israel. God used Jephthah. Jephthah, destroying the much larger armies of Ammon through him. Judges 11.1 says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. He was a son of a harlot, uh, and Gilead beget Jephthah. I'm not going into detail, but God used Samson. Most of you know Samson. Born as the only child of an insignificant couple, raised up to judge the Philistines, one man. He used Hannah. I spoke about not long ago to the ladies. A nobody in Israel, childless, and the wife of a polygamist, Elkanah. God used and brings forth the single greatest judge priest that Israel ever saw or has seen, Samuel. God used a little man, about the youngest of seven, David. The greatest king maybe to ever reign in Israel was the, and was the least of his family. He was considered the youngest. Now, I'm the baby of the family. And to the point that his father, when Samuel came to pick one of his sons as king, uh, the old boy uh, puts the six boys in front of, in front of Samuel. And Samuel goes, that ain't it? Or you got any other kids? Oh, yeah. I got one. He's out keeping the sheep. But we didn't even consider him as part of potential here. We don't even let that boy come by you. He says, I ain't going anywhere you bring him by. Oh, I like that. Not just because I'm the baby of the family. Never even considered David as a candidate. In 2 Samuel 7, 8, it says, Now therefore so shall thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. 250 years after David died, God is still saying, for the sake of my servant, David, I do this. Woo! you got to make God happy for him to be referring to you like that. Through one person, Amos, Amos was taken as a herdsman, has a book in the Bible, Amos, hope you've read it. I hope you don't see him in heaven. He said, you read my book? What book did you write? He'd probably say, oh, here, another backslidden Baptist. How about Rahab, ladies? How would you like to be known as Rahab, the harlot? Oh, nobody will forget my past. No, God won't. It's Rahab, the harlot. And old Rahab the harlot, she's part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, made the book. Tamar, Tamar, she makes my skin crawl. Tamar has relationships with her father-in-law, commits wickedness with him as a child, and she's part of the lineage of Jesus. Ruth, of all people, a Moabitess, you remember Balaam? Remember Moabites? Remember what they did to Israel? God chooses this woman because she has a heart for God. Ruth, 
a Moabitess, a heathen, to be part of the lineage of Christ, to be mentioned in the lineage in, in the book. I think this should be encouraging you some. I think of Bathsheba. By the way, does God remember? Yes. In, in, the, in the New Testament, when it lists Bathsheba there, I believe it's in Matthew, it says the wife of Uriah. It says Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, an adulterous woman, but God uses her and her child as the lineage of Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, an interesting fact is that he didn't Now, it was always Peter, James, and John, wasn't it? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. How would you like to have been the rest of them boys? How would you like to have been the rest of them boys? Jesus is playing favoritism. He didn't take me up to the mount. He took Peter, James, and John, his favorites. Yes, he did. You can argue with him when he's seen. But he took Peter, James, and John. What about the rest of them boys? What are we, chopped liver? No, they didn't get that way. But when he arose from the dead, who did he appear to first? Mary of Magdalene. I've been to Magdalene. It's a nothing. It's gone. Mary of Magdalene. She was a woman who he cast out seven demons. I think I've met a few of them. I think I've eyeballed the eyeball, met a few of them. Woman had seven demons. Not five demons, not six demons, seven demons. I believe, was she the woman in John 8? I don't know. I don't know. But she met Mary Magdalene, he, and, and, and of all the people, he, oh, God delights in using small people. He delights in using small things. God delights in using things that seemingly to us are insignificant and something we would never choose. You do not know who you may be influencing or teaching or encouraging in your little Sunday school class or your small little bus route or your prison ministry. Uh, you may be having five people attending, but you don't know who's in that room. It was some unknown, unfaithful servant of God's that led an old jailbird who served time for bank robbery to Christ. And this old boy's name was Harold Hofflinger. Harold Hofflinger was in the top 10, wanted top 10 FBI list, got caught, put in prison, served 10 years in prison for an assisting in a bank robbery, eventually was released. You people that do prison ministry, some old boy must have led that led old Harold Hofflinger to Christ. One day he found his way to my mom and dad and went to their home on a Thursday night, told them the great story of the salvation through Jesus Christ. My mom and dad, Ori and Lorraine, got on their knees on that old sofa and asked Jesus to save them. And because of that one day, they, my mother led me to Christ. And because of that one day, Troy got saved. And because of that, maybe his sons get, and his sons get saved and other people around us get saved. And the circle keeps going wider. Why? Because God loves using small things. Loves using insignificant things. It was a faithful Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, that had no idea how important his work was when he was out visiting one of his pupils at Holton's shoe store and told a boy named D.L. Moody 
while D.L. Moody was wrapping shoes, he said, I want to tell you how much Christ loves you. And he led him to Jesus right there. He had no idea how important a conversion this was, that some over one million souls claimed faith in Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody. How could he have known that? It was an unknown and an unnamed 80-year-old preacher in a little country church in Dothan, Alabama, that had no idea how important his work would be when he led an inconspicuous 11-year-old boy to Christ at invitation time. That old young boy's name was Bob Jones, senior, eventually, who by the time he was age 40 had preached over 12,000 sermons and some 12 million people had heard the gospel with some recorded 300,000 conversions. He had no idea. It was impossible to know when old George Warner, a preacher at a primitive Methodist chapel, gave the invitation at the end of the sermon that the 16-year-old little gypsy boy got up and went forward. That old little gypsy boy was traveled some 45 times between England and America, preaching the gospel, leading tens of thousands to Jesus Christ. Gypsy Smith could not read or write. Sometimes we get so caught up in education, or as you could say, education. We get so caught up with the technicalities, I think it makes God sick. And he says, you're trying to do it in your own power. You're trying to do it in your own strength. I'm going to raise me up a gypsy smith and show you that it's me. Gypsy said, I didn't go through your colleges or seminaries. They wouldn't have me. I've been at the feet of Jesus where the only true scholarship is learned. It was learned to the place where even Queen Victoria of England wrote a letter of him and inquired of him. It was a little, a little did Harry Monroe know when preaching an average service in January 19th, uh, 1897, 10 minutes past 9 o'clock Central Time at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois, that old 27-year-old drunk standing against the back wall to keep from falling would get saved and turn out to be Mel Trotter, you Michiganders. Who could have guessed? He had never kept a promise in his life up to that time. He had sold everything he ever made to get a few drinks of whiskey. He had betrayed his wife, his employer, his little girl who died at two years old. Mel Trotter was called the man who raved about Jesus. Glory to God. He had part in starting missions in Grand Rapids, Saginaw, Holland, and that ain't the country over there, hello. Kalamazoo, Dayton, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Tens of thousands were rescued from a life of agony and defeat through alcohol and sin to a life of victory and eternal life in Jesus Christ through an old boy called Mel Trotter. He wouldn't have been the guy I'd have picked. He wouldn't be the guy you'd pick either. But he was the guy God picked. Seem it? It but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel separated you from the congregation of Israel? I hope you never get to the place where Korah got. But I can tell you it scares me to think that a guy as well informed 
as Korah, as well-informed as the 200 men of renown, princes in the congregation, who had seen the 10 plagues of Egypt, who had seen it turn black, not in their place, but over where the Egyptians were. They couldn't even move for three days. They had seen and heard the cries of all Egypt as their firstborns were all dead, including their animals and their children. They had seen the Egyptian women come out with all their jewelry and all their precious stones and give it to the uh, Israelite women. The Bible says Israel plundered Egypt. They'd come up to the Red Sea and watch Moses lift his staff up to the Red Sea and listen to the wind as it began to howl behind him and separate that water where there was a wall, the Bible said, on one side and a wall on the one side. It wasn't the Reed Sea. It wasn't six inches deep. It was, it was a, a, maybe 100 feet, 200 feet deep, and God put walls up on both sides and let them walk across on dry land. It was those people that saw the bodies of the greatest army that the world knew at that time, the Egyptians, floating up on the shore. That's the God we serve. Is there anything too hard for God? The devil wants to beat you down and beat me down and make me feel like we're puny and un, un, we're like, we, we'll get feeling like we're a runt man from a runt family of a runt tribe of a runt nation. Oh, who am I? What am I? I'm inconspicuous doing this little job for God. What good can it do, brother? Do you think it a small thing that God has chosen you out of the world, the billions in this world to be his child? It's not a small thing. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. You may, like some of these people, go their whole life only lead one or two people to Christ or only give the gospel to and see people respond. It may be that one person that responds that God so touches to go out and do like some of the men that I mentioned here in contemporary times or before us a little bit or in the Bible. But God loves to use. He says, despise not the day of small things. I remember in Gospel Baptist we started here you know it's coming up birthday anniversary time and I get a little reminiscent most of the people that I started out with I'm not with anymore most of the people that started well, I started Kathy and I started out with here are gone they've left me you folks have come I'm happy for you thrilled for you but I remember those old days at 14, 15 people on a Sunday night and that was including Kathy, myself, and Troy McKinney and his wife. That was five out of the 15 right there. Then somebody would get sick and half your congregation leave. I remember going home some nights just shaking my head and saying, Kathy, man, I just don't know if this is going to make it. If we're going to make it, I don't know if it's going to keep going. I don't know. It don't look good. I remember the budget was so thin. We couldn't, we couldn't even try to buy a printer one time for $100. We had a big debate on it. Whether we spend $100 or not, finally I bought it. I've learned something about deacons' meetings. If you pay, they're pretty well good with it. Oh, it ain't about the money, preacher. Why is it when I said I'd buy it, it was one, two, vote, boom, unanimous. <laughs> I've learned if you really want something, belly up. Put the money on it. 
you'll get it. We, we really don't mind if you want to do something most of the time. Does it seem to you to be a small, does it seem, do you seem small? You seem insignificant? Don't feel that way. You know, Moses appeals to Corinth to stop it. You've been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. You've been allowed to hear the gospel. You've gotten saved. You're, you're part of my family. Who knows what I'm going to do through you? And by the way, it's God's business what he does through his people. And how he does it. Are you discouraged tonight? You feel your job's insignificant? You ready to throw in the chips? Your work cannot be evaluated this side of heaven. Who knows who you will influence for Jesus Christ in this life? Could you possibly be a Harold Hofflinger, a D.L. Moody, a Bob Jones, a Gypsy Smith, or a Mel Trotter, or somebody that influenced them to be saved on the way to heaven? You could be, and that's exciting. You pick these boys and girls up in the middle of the, 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 the homes that they come from. You say, boy, these kids don't have a chance, brother, with Jesus. You've got all the chance you need if you'll believe in him. I remember when I went to college, God called me to go to college, Bob Jones University specifically. And I remember that I'm the only one in my whole family, going back as far as we knew, I'm the only one that graduated from college. We're not a real college family. And, and, and I remember my, my dad saying, boy, my dad never graduated from high school, graduated from the eighth grade. He was a student. He, he read and he, was, he, he learned things. But he wasn't, he wasn't, my mom got her high school degree and they got married at 21 years old or so. And I remember telling them, like, I believe God wants me to go to school. I had no money, no money. People come up to me, these kids come up to me sometimes, I don't have any money, but God wants me to go to college. I said, if God wants you to go to college, forget the money. God will provide. Now, like Brother Moon or myself, what you don't want to tell God is you've got to let me go through in four years. He don't have the same timetable you do. I'm seven years going through. I had one guy come up one time, I told him to me seven years to get my bachelor's degree. They said, was it because you're intellectually impaired? No, but I said, you're going to be. No, I said I had a 3.62 average over, four, over the entire 120 hours I took, but doggone, I had to pay as I went. I was married with a kid, out working 40, 50 hours a week, plus going to school 12 hours a semester, couldn't take a full load, but took what I could. And by the way, at the, at the end of seven years, I got the same degree as everybody else got. It looked exactly the same as the guy that did it four years. One of the reasons I like Brother Moon, when Brother Moon came by, Brother Boucher gave us Brother Moon's name and said, boy, well, I like this guy. I like, it. I like it. him and his wife. It looked like a really couple love the Lord. I wanted to know a little bit more about him. And I, I think Brother John says something about it. it took 10 years to graduate from Bob Jones. I said, 10 years? Let's hire that guy. Anybody that's got the tenacity to keep at something that believe God's in it and won't let 10 years of of not making it, stopping my kind of people. My kind of people, God's kind of people. What's it take to stop you? What's it take to stop you? I think Bob Jones said, your character can be determined by what it takes to stop you. I hope you'll not be discouraged as you walk out of here tonight. I hope that you'll, not in pride of any kind, but you'll hold your head up that God has chosen you 
God has helped you. God is with you. God has not deserted you. Now look, you can desert God. You can walk away from him. You can choose to not have his blessings on your life. But if your heart is dedicated to him and you'll do his will, trust me, you're not going to go. Nobody's going to face God someday and say, you disappointed me. God will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. He will be with you. Now, it won't come out like you think because God's got a creativity about him that we don't have. Think about it. Look at the insects under a microscope. I mean, that takes creativity to create stuff looks like that. Ever look at a noceum? How many here know what a noceum is? Some of you Yankees have no idea because this time of year we don't have them very bad. But I, I suggest everybody that's from north in the summertime or in springtime or, or, or early fall, go to the beach at sunset where there's a lot of mangroves. And don't put any off on. Don't put any off on. Just go down by the mangrove and watch the beautiful sunset here in South Florida around those mangroves. See what happens. They get in your eyes. They get in your hair. They get in your ears. They get everywhere up your nose. I've had so many noceums around me. They were like a black cloud of demons I dove in the water, clothes, fishing pole, and everything just to escape the torment. Got in one day I looked under a microscope. They have mine under a microscope. It looks like a, a great white. I mean, they got triangular teeth like this. Now, the guy that makes stuff like that, don't, don't limit him to your little mind because he doesn't do it your way or he doesn't accomplish it your way or you can't see how he's going to do it. So you say, he's not going to do it. God's not going to do it. God may not do it the way you think he's going to do it, but he'll accomplish his purposes through you if you'll give him your life. Oh, don't be like Korah and those 25, 250 men of renown. Don't do it. Trust God. Rely upon him. Lift your head up. The redemption. Father, help us tonight. May the Spirit of God come. May you explain this better than I could. And may you uh, use this earthen vessel that you've placed the treasure in, a treasure of unspeakable wealth, the treasure of the gospel. May we, may we be faithful at reproducing that treasure to those people we walk with, talk with, meet during the week. May this body of believers go out like a great army this week, all over the place. May we infiltrate the retirement communities, uh, the, the uh, wash areas where they do laundry, the restaurants, the 7-Elevens, the businesses. And may we, may we take time to share that Jesus Christ died for them and was buried and rose again the third day that they could be saved. Father, give us the, goal, the holy boldness to do it. Give us the wisdom to do it. But more than anything, help us to have faith in you. Faith that you're not a God of, 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 of no strength, but you're a God of strength, mighty strength. There could be some in this room tonight know not Jesus as their personal Savior. You've made some sort of a religious profession, but you've never actually trusted Christ as your Savior. You know if you died tonight, you're not sure in any way. If you know Christ as your Savior and God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you, you have a, a degree of assurance about it. How can God come in and dwell in you and you go, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know. Then if something's going on, you need to come talk with us. Will you come, let us pray with you. Father, come tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.